Welcome back to Love, Life, and Legacy B podcast that is designed to help you navigate these hypersexualized times. These hypersexualized times. How do you like that radio voice? These hypersex. I'm working. It's a work in progress. In today's episode, I really like this episode. I say that a lot, but these episodes really help us to clarify concepts for ourselves and for you. Things that we're dealing with in our sphere, the people that we're helping, what they're going through, the revelations they're having, then we're having to help you grow faster. And fantasies is actually, it's a topic that I think few of us delve deeply into. We understand what fantasies are generally, very generally, but specifically don't look at how they're impacting our lives. Do you use fantasies to escape your life or to enhance your life? If you stick around to the very end of this episode, we actually do get into how you can use fantasies to reach your goals. But most of us, honestly, if you were to honestly review how you use fantasies, it's as a form of escape, especially sexual fantasies. Many of us don't understand how fantasizing impacts our relationships with other people, especially, you know, romantic relationships in a very negative way. And so we really do unpack that. It's a really great conversation. I think we're going to implant some new ideas into your mind in this episode that will help you to move forward with a whole lot of clarity. So listen to it. It's going to enhance your life, promise, or your money back. Enjoy this episode about fantasies with Benji and myself. Welcome back, everybody. It's Anderu and... Howdy, howdy, and Benji. Bonjour, Mike. And today we're going to be talking about fantasies. I recently made a video about this. I don't know if you guys have watched it. I don't know if you guys watch the videos. Do you... Please get back to us. Do you listen to the podcast and watch the videos? Does anybody out there know how to use email? It seems like we don't get a lot of emails, huh? A lot of listeners, but not so much feedback. That's true. It's bananas. I just got feedback today from a guy who's like, oh, thank you so much for your Does High Noon Work podcast. I really needed that kick in the butt. And now I'm back in the game. Like he was out of it for a while and he needed to understand the process of why High Noon wasn't working for him because he wasn't mm. using it to its best, highest potential. So we love to hear from you. If you like our videos, let us know. We don't know. We're just like making stuff, right? We're making stuff based on what we can see works for us and for the people we're working with. But does it help you? Let us know. Tell Benji. Benji needs a pat on the back. He works yeah, hard, people. Negative or positive. Feedback is good, for sure. Look at Benji's hair and look at my hair. Benji deserves a pat on the back. He's working hard out there. Look at my shirt. If you're watching the video, you should. Look at his shirt. My, my shirt. <laughs> Beautiful. Look at me. I just look like a, a, a tween, a tween, a little tween. So I wanted to talk about this because we spend so much time discussing with people about what they're going through. But also I'm trying to process what's happening in this world in terms of what is porn turning into and why are so many people are just becoming complicit with it. They're like not resisting it anymore. I was thinking about porn actresses in the 70s were kind of vilified. They were part of this fringe society that was shunned as being evil and wrong. Now, porn actresses are like lauded. They're celebrated. They're like, they're in worship by so many people. And it's like, it's almost a reputable job at this point. And especially with the advent of OnlyFans, where people can make part-time money or full-time money, just like a YouTuber, but by prostituting themselves. And it's and nothing shy of that. It's complete prostitution. But it's somehow acceptable in a large part of our society. Do you know about all this? Are you are you sheltered? I don't know how much you know. Well, you can check out my OnlyFans page if you want to know how much I know about it. <laughs> it's just you doing puppets. 
OnlyFans wasn't even, I mean, I think I talked about this originally with Sammy. He's the one that told me about it. And apparently it's, it was not created for how it's being used. It was created for any celebrity who's like a ventriloquist to a ballerina or whatever so that your fans can connect with you. But it turns out that most people use it for porn. Because uh, sexuality, sexuality sells on every platform and they use it for that, for sure. Yeah, Instagram, Twitter, everything. So when I've, I've been watching different types of kind of porn actresses being interviewed on podcasts, because I really do genuinely want to understand what's going on. And I always have to be careful, obviously, that I'm not like starting to like have the wrong motivation. And I also have to cut myself. If they get too graphic, I'm just, I'm out. I want to know who are these people because they're not monsters. They're not crazy. They're not stupid. They're in many cases, normal people who are just hurt, who have experienced stuff in life and somehow they've ended up in this place. So I don't want to cast judgment, but I want, I do want to understand what is driving this machine. And I think the fuel that propels the machine of porn is fantasy, okay? So the gasoline in the tank of the porn giant vehicle is fantasy. And I wanted to kind of unpack that, but I feel like I've been talking a lot so sure. far. <laughs> well, I kind of I want to hear a bit more about that because I think when people hear fantasy, their first thought is about the act of thinking, right? The act of fantasizing while you're sitting, lying in your bed or you're sitting down during class and you're fantasizing about, you know, the opposite gender or sex or porn. But I think what you're getting to is a little more of a deeper, deep-seated fantasy that is not just the thought of some external thing, right? Yeah. So fantasy is something that's like alive in you and you feed it. So like every time you fantasize about something. So I know this young guy who's just like really into crushes. And he fantasizes, not necessarily sexually, but he fantasizes about this person liking them back and hugging them and kissing them and loving them, right? So the more that they think about it and interact with this idea of that person liking them back in the realm of fantasy, the more that it creates this feeling like it's real, like he gets genuine actual emotion just from the thought of it. And the more that you invest in a fantasy, the more that the emotions are like right there. And you get immediate feedback. So it feels super real. So you're investing your time by thinking about it, your energy in focusing your mind on, on visualizing, but you're also focusing your emotion on it. It's like it becomes mm-hmm. something that feels real to you. And so that is, generally speaking, what people experience through porn. They're, it's right. helping them to shape their fantasy of what turns them on, the preferences that they have. Oh, I like these kind of women or whatever, right? In these kind of situations. This is all part of a fantasy. And the more time that you spend in porn land and the more time you think about this, the more that this world becomes your happy place. And that's where you escape to because that feeling is instantaneous. You get that instant feeling. All I have to do, close my eyes and think about women in this way and I get this feeling. Or checking out porn, you know, porn is is just a more concise projection of your vision because it's actually real people and acting. Because in your mind, things are a little bit fuzzy. So you can actually, they can do the work for you. So that to me is what fantasy is. Would you okay. agree, disagree? Yeah, I think if we were to put it into like neurological, like neuro uh, terminology, it's like she's so scientific. Neuro, neuro, <laughs> neuro terminology. Fantasy is like a splash of dopamine, right? And, and we're not getting too much in the brain stuff of porn, but anytime you do fantasize even about something or see something that's a little bit sexual or triggery on Instagram or TikTok or wherever, you're getting a, a, a hit of dopamine. In other words, it's telling your brain that 
this act of doing this is really important. It's, it's necessary for me to live, to survive. And then if you go to further down the rabbit hole, then it's pornography. I need, and, and you've developed a habit of training your brain that I need pornography in order to, like you said, to instantaneously take me out of difficult emotions or stress, anxiety into a state of just temporary fake relaxation. The catch is, however, that pornography actually doesn't add any valuable relaxation or stress relief. And people will say that, like, oh, my masturbation, masturbation porn, it's healthy, it's natural, it reduces stress. You can say the same thing about smoking, actually, right? Sure. And of course, that's been debunked is that these kind of behaviors not only increase stress because you become reliant on it, but also at the same time, it is destructive and usually leads you down other paths that, you know, more aggressive, more intense, more extreme versions of pornography. So when we're talking about fantasizing, you know, it's like, oh, people, it's, it's, it's harmless. But the reality is it actually is addictive to fantasize. Sure especially if you're associating that that fantasy with sexuality or even with masturbation, you know? Absolutely. First of all, I thought you were going to say darker and more intense forms of smoking. <laughs> like, I need to smoke I've, upside down. Man. I've never been a smoker, Andrew, so I don't know what darker <laughs> forms of smoking. But like people will say like, oh, what's wrong with light smoking or occasional smoking? Sure, sure, right? sure. It's sure, like sure. it's healthy, it's natural, you know, that kind of thing. Well, yeah, there's a lot to be said about that, but I completely understand. And you are stressing out your circuitry in your brain. So there's no doubt that it's not great. But fantasy, the thing about fantasy is it, it can be used for good. You know, I, I read and I've never confirmed whether this is a real document, but I read Nikola Tesla's autobiography like 10 years ago, and it was by his own hand, allegedly. And it's really obscure. It's not like a book that you can get. I just, I found it. And regardless of it's true, the point is that there have been verified accounts that he had this photographic imagery system in his mind where he could create the prototype of an invention in his mind, but he'd build it. Let's say, let's say it was this cube shaped prototype. He could build the first half of it and then go take a break and work on other stuff for days or weeks or whatever, then come back. And it was like, he saved the file in his mind and then continue the prototype. And when it was fully finished in his head, he could then make the first actual prototype, but it was fully formed. It wasn't a guessing game. He knew exactly how it would turn out because it was, it was so accurate in his brain. And we do have that capacity to think about something to such an extent that it's basically real. Mm -hmm. It's super real because we're engaging with it as though our sensories, you know, the, the way that our senses are reacting are as though it were actually happening. And so it's an important mechanism that we have that we can use to our benefit. I do it every single day in terms of visualization, visualizing the kind of person that I want to be, the type of life that I want, and practicing that. And I do, in the boot camp, we, I promote this idea. That's what the North Star goal is. It's like, imagine the perfect day. Now experience a small dose of that perfect day just by closing your eyes, because it changes you. But the difference with that is you're practicing something so that it can become real. And with a fantasy, it's not quite the same. You're just escaping to that place. And then you got to come back to reality. And, and then you end up feeling worse in the long run. Because the fantasy is the good place and your reality is the crappy place. But I wanted to get into, so guys, this is, I'm talking about heterosexual couples, heterosexual porn, heterosexual fantasy. The majority of people on this earth are heterosexuals. You and I are. So that's why I'm talking flaming. about it. Flaming. Flaming heterosexuals. <laughs> We're flaming. Yes. In terms of like guys looking at, at women for porn, I just wanna, I wanna talk about that real quick, is that when they start to fantasize about a situation or a type of sexuality, it doesn't matter who the woman is. They have the fantasy 
And their fantasy can be placed on top of any woman that kind of fits a certain criteria. But they're a nameless, faceless woman that can be exchanged one for the next. It doesn't really matter. And that's why porn is never, it's not about monogamous porn. Like I only watch one person. It's like I watch thousands of different types of porn with different people because you need to fuel this fantasy with different people. But what this does is your fantasy is actually like this creature that needs humans. It consumes humans and that's how it, it stays alive. And so from the male perspective, what I see is that you spend time fantasizing about certain types of situations, certain, certain types of sex, and then you project that onto different women, but you can throw them away and then you can move on to the next one. And this really is disastrous for relationships because a lot of times I know guys will try to get their wives or whatever to enact a fantasy that they have. And they're trying to shove this fantasy into somebody that they love. And that doesn't really work because you're not becoming more in love with the person. You're just becoming more in love with the fact that they're engaged in your world, your fantasy. And they feel like you're not really having sex with them when you do that. You're having sex with the fantasy that they represent. And it's really kind of hollow. Does that make sense? It's like you are not even having sex with them at that point. You're having sex with the fantasy of something else and you're just using their body to do that. And yeah. there is a lack of heart when that takes place. And that's very dangerous for a loving relationship. Yeah. Now I've experienced that early on for sure in our marriage. I've talked with people who were getting married and were very quickly frustrated with their spouse because their wife wouldn't do certain things that they wanted to do. And they were frustrated. And I was like, you know, peeling back the layers a bit, I was like, okay, why do you want to do that? And they're like, well, because I think it's attractive. I'm like, why do you think that? And then we peel, peel it back enough. It's like, well, because I saw it in a porn video. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's yeah. like, okay, like ask yourself, is that the kind of relationship you want that is based on fantasy that you've established for yourself? Like you're saying, yeah. Yeah. Why do you think that those type of pants are cool? Because you've been brainwashed to believe that, <laughs> right? You've seen them enough times. Same with, yeah, every act that we project onto our, our spouse, our partner is really, I don't believe they're authentic. I don't believe they're, they're genuine. They're just facsimiles of, of something that we've seen, you know, or like a culmination of different acts here and there. But I love the idea of like, you know, when you create a, a relationship in order for it to be true and genuine, you have to just start from zero and build up and say, okay, like, okay, we're married now. Let's figure this thing out together. Like, hmm. how are you? How are you? And you kind of build it hand in hand. Is this, are you comfortable with this? Are we? And what you're doing is you're formulating something that's never existed before because there's never been both of you before. But when you start to say, be more like that, then inherently you're forcing that person to be something that they're not. Yeah. And you cannot win at that game because they cannot be anything that they're not. They are them. Yeah, this is prevalent across every corner of our culture and the internet, especially, right? If we ask ourselves, why is it that we've developed this certain standard of beauty? Essentially, what is this external beauty or external fantasy? What has created this? Well, it's simply put because there's a standard, a very clear standard in every culture that this is beautiful, this is not beautiful. You have yes. to wear, man or woman, doesn't matter. You have to wear this kind of clothes to be attractive, these kind of pants. You have to do your hair this way. You have to be of this skin color, whatever it is. We have, everyone has these fantasies. And obviously it's been brainwashing from a very young age. Call it Disney propaganda if you want, but <laughs> it's like we've been taught essentially that there is a standard of beauty. I call it the Instagram standard. Yes. And anything that doesn't meet 
that standard is not considered beautiful, which is actually tragic because if you bring that into any relationship, any healthy marriage, then you're putting that fantasy on your, your partner, your spouse. And if they don't meet that, then you can't actually look at them as the beautiful person they are. It is physically impossible to have to be knee deep in a porn addiction and to see your spouse, your husband or wife from a healthy perspective without having these filters of, oh, I wish my wife would wear these kinds of clothes more. I wish they would, she would do her hair like this, or he would do this, or he would work out more, he would lose some weight, that kind of thing. Physically impossible. And we're kidding ourselves to think that this is, you know, that we can spend hours a day on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, wherever, and expect to have a healthy relationship. I'm fully convinced that, that couples having sex 50, 100 years ago were a lot happier, generally, in terms of their expectations for their sure. spouse, right, sure. externally speaking. Of course, we have more education and knowledge and medicine and all that now. But in terms of the expectation of what healthy sexuality is, no, we didn't have OnlyFans. Like you're saying, we didn't have any of that, right? Yeah, you weren't stimulated all the time. I just mentioned it this when I was speaking with Luca Gucci, but the rabbi that I interviewed said the same thing that 150 years ago, if you were going to do something like a sexual sin or something, it would take a lot of premeditation and probably like two days because you had to take your horse and go into the town. You had to like really, really be all in on like, I'm going to do this. But now it just is like in your face. It's un unavoidable. The other half of this is the woman. This is something that I've been really perplexed by is like the vast majority document of porn depictions, scenarios are a losing equation for women. They always are being abused physically or mentally, you know, verbally in one shape or another, the vast majority of the time in porn. And so I'm like, you know, obviously there's the archetypal woman who's just been so abused and she's addicted to being abused and that's all she knows. So then she just accepts this kind of abuse. That's like one story that we tell about why porn actresses might do that. But realistically speaking, like looking at these porn actresses in these podcasts I've been listening to and trying to understand them because they're so empowered, Benji. They're so sure that this is a great decision. And they're like, you know, you can all go to hell if you don't support me because I love what I do. And like, mm -hmm. it's, you can't just dismiss that, right? You can't just say, oh, you don't know what you're talking about because that's very closed-minded. But at the same time, if you look at what they're doing, they're like, in some cases, basically just being raped by multiple people at the same time, people that they don't love. So then it's a little bit confusing. So one thing that I was really thinking about is when you have somebody that's been fantasizing about porn, let's say, let's say a guy's been fantasizing about porn his whole life, and then he sees you and you represent something sexual to him, and then he starts to project his fantasy on you. That feels like love. The way that they look at you, right? When somebody has a fantasy and then you are, okay, I'm going to try to make this as visual as possible. Let's say the man is projecting like an actual projector, movie projector. And what he's projecting is his fantasy. And you fit that projector like a movie screen. It's just perfect. It feels in that moment like he loves you because he's lusting after you. And lust feels like love in the moment because they're hungry for you. They're thirsty for you. They'll do anything for you. But it's not for you for the fact that you can help them experience satisfaction towards their fantasy. But once that is gone and they don't need you for that anymore, they're much more likely to throw you away. But these actresses, when I'm seeing them speak and I'm trying to understand what they're going through, none of them are in really healthy relationships. They're not really mothers, this kind of stuff. 
it's like the closest thing to love that a lot of them probably get is just like a lot of guys really horny for them, right? And that's the only thing that I can understand up until this point of all of my thinking is like, why would somebody subject themselves to that? Sure, there's good money in it, I guess. But there's a good lot, there's a lot of money in e-commerce. <laughs> there's a lot of good money in a lot of things in this world. Why, why something that's going to have, where you have to pay such a high physical, mental, spiritual, emotional toll? Yeah. So what's the answer then? Because to them, it's not a toll on them. They believe that this is healthy. It's fine. It makes me happy. I mean, this is an age old argument. If something makes me happy, it doesn't matter if it's temporary or not. I should do it because it makes me happy. I should do whatever I want. Well, yeah, it's true. I mean, but what is what is happiness at scale? Is it sustainable happiness? What is this going to look like in 30 years when you're 50, when you're 55 and nobody's going to want you in their porn? Because mm. porn is very much about young people, men and women. Then nobody wants to see old people because that's reality. And mm. porn is not about reality, right? So you get spat out of this machine at about 30. Probably, I don't, there's not many that can go beyond 30. And then, and then what? And then people stop needing you for that. There's no need for that anymore. It sounds like almost that from this perspective of, of these females, it's almost like they're, they have their own fantasy that they're addicted to, that they're trying to live. Fantasy of what? Of being that, all the that. Madonna? Like, I think we can all relate to it to a small extent. That's an extreme example, Andrew. It's like people who find pleasure from having the attention and the addiction to status that's something I think we can all relate to, right? Maybe yeah. a splash of that is how much time we or we used to spend on social media. This is why TikTok is extremely addictive as creators, but also consumers, because it gives you that feeling of value, of like, I'm important, I'm wanted, I'm desired. This is the, the, the feeling of posting something on Instagram and Facebook and getting a bunch of likes and comments. So in a sense, it's it's a small sense. So I'm, I'm trying to kind of rationalize in my mind of like why they've eventually gone so far to that extreme that they need to take their clothes off in order to fit this narrative that this is what is going to make me attractive and desired and, and all and celebrated, right? Yeah, I could see that. I could see that, that the desire, being desired is part of the fantasy is like knowing that you have all, because that is power too. When you can kind of control people, there's power there. If people are so desperate for you and you're in high demand, then you have power, you have bargaining chips. And so I, I could see that. And all the popularity now that is also so more socially acceptable that it comes with a certain amount of prestige. So yeah, I got that. I just mostly see it as like porn for all the women who listen to this. I'm sure it's we're a couple of guys talking about this. We'd love to hear from your perspective. But, you know, the vast majority of porn, like 99.9% .9 of it is produced, like all the money and all the power in the porn industry is men. And most of the imagery is men dominating women or men dominating other men. It's seldom empowering to women. But we're trying to understand how women who are being disempowered inherently through something that's against them can feel so empowered how porn actresses can feel empowered. But the only way that I can understand it is that they experience the fake version of love, which is lust, by opening themselves up and becoming very luscious and making that their predominant character in this world. Yeah, it's almost like there's two sides of the same coin regarding like necessity in life, right? I guess evolutionary speaking, I don't want to get into that, but but there's almost like a, a deep-seated need that humans have to have status, right? To have power, to have authority. And whether that's good or bad, it can be, all of these characteristics can be taken in a dark way, in a dark spin. 
And I think that's what the porn industry has done really well is try to link something that is innately desired and needed by humans, which is sexuality, sexual connection, and link that somehow to porn, which is not sexual at all. In fact, probably the opposite of sexuality because there's no connectivity involved at all. So there's this perfect storm of fake connection with sexual content and masturbation that's basically making people addicted to believing, their, I guess their brain's believing that this is sexuality, like this is what I need to, to experience sexuality and I don't need a relationship because I have this. So it sounds like it's like two sides of the same coin in that there's a dark side to status and fantasy and all that. And also there's a positive side, like you were talking about earlier, like you can use fantasy, maybe fantasy is a God-given trait that we have in order to further our lives and our families. But if we take that in a dark way, in the wrong way, then it just becomes self-centered rather than selfless fantasy. But also one leads you towards fulfillment because you're practicing what that looks like in your mind. And then you're doing the actions that are aligned with that versus living in fantasy land as a form of escape and then having to deal with the drudgery of life and not I really do feel like the more you're attracted to a life of fantasy, the more out of control your life becomes and the less attractive it is. And it's this really destructive cycle. So fantasy is not bad guys and gals, but just understand that it's meant to be used as a tool to create more reality. Mm. not as a way of escaping reality more. Mm. And there's a big difference there. So if you find yourself daydreaming because you're supposed to be doing homework, that's when fantasy is destructive. <laughs> so let's, I want to go into that a little bit. What okay. would you say is the defining factor between a healthy fantasy and a unhealthy fantasy? Like for example, money. I want to have a lot of money. Not a bad idea, but can be used in a maybe not so healthy way, like a fantasy sort of way, but also maybe like you were saying, in order to create more real experiences. Yeah. So with the boot camp, we do this a lot. It's like, okay, why do you want more money? Oh, because I'm stressed out about money. Well, why are you stressed out about money? Because I'm always behind on your payments. Okay. Why is that? And then peeling it back, peeling it back. And they're not actually looking for money. Mm. They're just looking for the feeling of security. They're like, okay, well, what does that feel like? And then why don't you practice that? And why don't you create a goal around living a life where you're more secure? So you're setting things up. You take money out every month and you're putting it towards investment or savings or whatever. And all of a sudden you practice, what would a person who's secure do with their money? Because clearly you've been acting out of insecurities and that's been leading you this way. So because you feel insecure, then you act insecure. Well, practice feeling secure and then start doing the actions that a secure person feels like. So in that case, it's not money. Money is, is the excuse. It's your relationship with money. And how do you want to feel about money and feel that now? Take out the middleman. It's not money that's going to change anything. What I understand from the wealthy people that I've known and, and talked to and listened to is like money just amplifies what you already are. So if you're insecure about money now, I'll give you $10 million. You're going to be way more insecure about losing that money. And you probably do some stupid stuff and lose that money. So it's not about the money. It's about your relationship and how you feel. You can change that right now. Through, I could say fantasy, I guess, through visualization, through envisioning how you'd rather feel and experiencing that right now. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a really cool technique is just peeling back that layer. Why do I feel this emotion? Why do I feel this fantasy? Whether it's good or bad, I don't know yet. But when you peel it back, you can figure out that there's usually something at the core of why you fantasize or watch porn or do anything that's destructive. Yeah. And also typical... I mean, just this basic rule, fantasy, like when intentionally used is productive. 
when subconscious, when you're just taken away by fantasy, which is what most people do, they just get swept in, away in a, in a vision, in a, in a fantasy. That's not productive. It's taking you away from life. It's like, it's got control of you rather than vice versa. We should take the helms of our fantasies. Cool? Cool. So I think that does our guys and gals. This is such a dude-centric episode. <laughs> I wanted to almost bring up my wife because I think both of our wives are pretty modest people, like the way that they dress and portray themselves. And I don't want to, I didn't want to bring her up because I don't want to speak for my wife, but I'll just say that, you know, being married with her for over 11 years now and you 10 years, right? Today, isn't that today? Today's our 10 anniversary. year anniversary. Look at that. 10 years, man. Congrats, dude. Thank you. So after 10 years, I can say confidently that I understand my wife enough to know that she doesn't have this desire, this need to fantasize about being wanted or looked after or, or desired. She doesn't have that. And I think that it's very liberating for her because she doesn't have that distraction in her life. She doesn't have to think about what people think or did she get this attention or that attention or anything like that. So someday we'll have her share a little bit here. Yeah, that'd be awesome. We, Trust me, if, she, if I could get her, I, I would definitely would. <laughs> Just uh, see what you can do. You might have to massage your feet for the next 40 days straight. Do whatever you got to do to get her on this podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We appreciate you as always. And we want to hear from you. We keep on asking. Nobody ever emails us. Our email has digital dust all over it because nobody emails us about this podcast. We know you listen. You've obviously listened this far. Why don't you just email us? Let us know. What do you, you can think? email us at andrew at highnoon.org. <laughs> thank you. All right. Thank you, everybody. Talk to you next time. See yeah. Hello, everybody. Andrew Love here. And I just wanted to add one more point. High Noon is a nonprofit organization, and we are run by donations. And although we've been doing okay, thanks to the massive generosity of our founders, the Wolfenbergers, we want to expand higher, 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 higher. We want to make a global impact. We want to reach every family. We want to change the culture. And for that to happen, we're going to need a lot of volunteers and a lot of staff. That's just the reality. It takes money to travel. It takes money to do a lot of the things we do. And we want to let you be a part of this growth. And so what we've created is a donors club, which is a $10 a month club. And when you join, you get a t-shirt mailed to your door. You can get some exclusive content. And we also have some really good goodies for our tribe of people who are part of the donors club that we're going to talk about in the coming months. So I just wanted to invite you to be one of these people. Everybody can afford $10 a month. It's just a matter of whether it's a priority. So if you feel High Noon has impacted you positively or your family or somebody you know, please consider donating. I don't want you to give any money unless you really, really want to. But if you do want to, I encourage you to really, really donate. So $10 a month is, I don't know, a cat a month. I don't know how to measure it. It's a giant hamburger and french fries a month that you can sacrifice in order to help this world become a more habitable, more enjoyable, more connected, more loving place. So please consider joining our donors club. It's just $10 a month. We look forward to seeing you on the inside of our secret society for donors. Have a good day, everybody.